0: You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God.
1: Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. Uh, Welcome. My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission here at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, build them up as his church, send them to follow him in his world. And I'm thankful that you're here to be a part of that. Uh, A couple of quick excitements here before we begin. I don't know if excitement is the right way to put it. The first one, I think he stepped out, but um, Justin Schaefer is taking three weeks off uh, we're giving him a little bit of a break. It's been uh, quite a year and a half, two years, ten years, two years um, at the church. And, uh, you know, Justin has been carrying us faithfully in terms of our worship leading on Sundays, uh, leading the band, and it's just, it's just been a lot. And so he's, in essence, taking all this of time off at one chunk. Um, in the past, we've taken breaks and people have come up and said, oh my gosh, what happened? Did somebody get fired? Or are they quitting? Or um, That's not what's going on. Justin's just taking a well-deserved break and a well-deserved would be a point of emphasis there, I think. So if you see him, encourage him, um, thank him for his service and don't worry, he will, he will be back soon. Uh, the smooth jams shall continue. Uh, don't worry. So thank God for Justin Schaefer and hope he gets um, a well-needed break. Uh, second, we got a request about a week ago from one of our missionaries in Mexico, Nick and Carrie Walburn. Uh, Nick is running kind of like a pastoral training center at a seminary. He's raising up church planters, investing in local church men and women there. And uh, it's not exactly uh, I-65 that he takes to go to work, and uh, he needed tires. And so we bought him tires uh, as a church. If you gave uh, any money in the last you know year or so, you helped buy tires to our missionaries in uh, Mexico. I think we have a picture of that. He sent it to us this morning. Uh, So that's his family in their their sick new tires. That's what Mexican tires look like, if you're curious what tires look like in other parts of the world. Uh, But Nick sent um, Stephen Smith. Stephen Smith is one of our deacons who oversees our international missions efforts. And Nick was just expressing his gratitude to you all. And uh, he was actually driving to the seminary and there was some kind of rock slide. There were things in the road where he couldn't get, so he had to go off-roading to work. And thanks be to God, he had new tires. That was them going off-roading. So that's what his commute looks like on on roads like that. So I just... I love these kind of stories that come in that show the generosity week in and week out that you guys um, express to this church, what's going on with that and where that's going. So Nick and Carrie, if you're watching from Mexico, enjoy the tires, and thank you all uh, for helping provide that. Uh, The the other thing, last thing, and this is just kind of a, uh, I guess, a preface to the sermon. um, We're talking about marriages here in a minute, which if you've been married or think about being married, that's a very simple topic. There's not much to discuss. Uh, That was a joke. Uh, it's pretty pretty complicated. There's a lot that could be said. Um, spoiler alert, we will not say everything. I will not say everything that there is to say about being married. And there are some big questions that we're not talking about. We're not gonna talk about divorce. Uh, we're not gonna talk about abuse and abusive situations in marriages, which our church takes very, very seriously. Uh, several years ago, we, we put together a whole kind of position paper on what does our church think about these things? How do we handle these things? All of that is available to you for free. If you have the Sojourn Collective app, it's right there in your bulletin for today. So as you're listening, if you're like, oh man, what, what about this? And what about this? And what about that passage? And what about this passage? We try to deal with all of that in that passage and, or in that in that packet. So I encourage you, if you have questions or circumstances you, you want to think through, um, check out your bulletin. Uh, there's a link to there right in your Surgeon Collective app where you can read more about that. Uh, weddings are a big deal, obviously, because most of us will get married at some point in our life. But uh, even beyond like the human realities of marriage, have you ever realized that this book... With the Bible, best-selling book of all time, right here at the beginning, we have a wedding. And do you know how the end of all things, the culmination of all things is inaugurated? What happens at the very end of the book? Anybody know? A wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb. So in this book, the best-selling book of all time, it begins with a wedding, and it, it ends with a wedding. There's something about marriages, there's something about weddings that communicates a great deal about who God is, what he desires for us. Um, These weddings, I think, the first one and the last one, tell us, I mean, I think everything that we need to know about God, about ourselves, and about the gospel. I mean, close to everything, if not everything, close to everything. Um, This text will be difficult for all of us. It's a very demanding text. Um, speaking of how how marriages are to function, what their goal is, what the purpose of marriage is, and, and that's difficult. So I don't want to downplay the difficulty, but sometimes the difficulty of the text before us misses how surprising and unexpected this text is. Uh, Up to this point, you got to remember that Genesis was originally a story that was communicated orally. These were oral cultures that were passing along these stories. And if that makes you uncomfortable, you got to realize in in some ways people used to be a a whole lot smarter than us. Uh, If your cell phone died, you would realize how dumb you are, right? (laughs) If if the network went down, if the Wi-Fi went off and you lost your Google, you would realize how little you know. Uh, Lots of folks... uh, you know, in Jesus's day, would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. So they're sitting beside a campfire telling this story. And in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, you would have heard this steady refrain, God saw, God did, it was good. God said, God saw, it was good. Over and over, you would hear almost this rhythm of Genesis 1 of, it is good, it is good, it is good. But then God looks at something he's made. And remember, we're not in Genesis 3 yet. We're still in Genesis 2. There is no sin. There is no rebellion. Nothing has been distorted. The sin or the parasite of sin hasn't come and twisted anything yet. We're still in paradise here. No sin, no suffering. Nothing has gone wrong yet. But verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's a stunning, shocking statement. We're in paradise, and yet there's something that is not good. If you were sitting beside that campfire listening to Genesis being told, you would have heard, good, 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 not good. It it would have been like somebody dropping a plate at dinner or a a bell being rung. Suddenly this not good clangs in, and it's, it's jarring and unexpected. Maybe most obviously because this is supposed to be paradise. But but think more about this with me. What does the not good reveal to us about God? Last week we talked a little bit about how some of us grew up in cultures where you only need Jesus, right? You don't need anything. You don't need a break. You don't need fill in whatever. You only need Jesus. But here in the very beginning where all man had was man and God and the world and God said, that's not enough. Can you see the stunning humility of God? He made creatures to need more than him. He designed them to need more than him. Can you see the shocking, utterly unself-centered love of God here? I will make you to need more than me. This humble love of God, this this utterly unself-centered love of God is the secret ingredient to God's design for marriage. Laying down self-interest in humility. It is a shocking act of God. And we see this posture, this humility truly is at the heart of marriage. Look at what he says right after that. He says, I will make a helper who is just right for him helper, who is just right for him. Now I'm going to give you the cliff note summary of this verse, and then we'll explain it. This verse is telling you that you always marry the wrong person. (laughs) I'm going to explain that, but if you're here and you're married, I want you to know I think you married the wrong person. And if you're here and you're single, I want to warn you, you are going to marry the wrong person if you get married. Some of you are a few years, don't raise your hands now, because you got to go home with them, okay? Some of you are Few years in and you're filled with dread thinking I made the wrong choice. Uh, Some of you are single and you're so incredibly picky. Who are single people looking for? They're not just looking for someone. They're looking for the one. The one who will Jerry Maguire you, right? Who will complete me. That reference is probably too old now. That was 30 (laughs) years ago. You guys, you younger kids can go watch Jerry Maguire, I guess. Um, Let me show you. Let me show you what I mean, you always marry the wrong person. So helper here gets kind of a bad rap because of the connotations in English. Uh, What is a helper? What does helper mean? Um, Helper here often, not always, but often is a military word in the Old Testament in in particular. It's a strong, it's often a divine word. It's used in, this is so tough. It's used in Deuteronomy 33, 29 to refer to God protecting his people and stomping on the backs of their enemies what does it mean to be a helper? Stomp on the backs of your enemies. Um, it's used in First Chronicles 12 to refer to David's mighty warriors who helped him in war. Repeatedly through the Old Testament, when you see this word helper show up, it's referring to God and it's referring to God showing up to help Israel against its wartime enemies. So that's not the that's not the only way it's used, but it is often used that way. So when you think of helper, it's, it's probably too strong to say it's a violent word, but it, there's an aggressiveness, there's a strength to it, there's a power to it, and it's, it's often associated with God. And then there'll be times where it's also a tender word. So the idea of help and stomping the backs of enemies takes on more connotations of rescuing or of supporting. So God helps the armies of Israel by stomping on their enemies' backs, and then God Helps the care the cause of the orphans by coming and providing for them or being a father to them. So so it's a word that's both tender and powerful. It's a divine, strong word. Adam needs this kind of help. He needs this kind of strength, which the animals and the plants and the birds that nothing else can provide for him. Some of you are currently making or have made the mistake of thinking. That your that that pain in your marriage is a problem in your marriage. Pain and difficulty does not always mean something has gone wrong. There's all kinds of caveats we could make here. Again, I, I encourage you to go read that divorce and marriage paper. Um, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about addictions. But there is a pain and a difficulty in marriage that is part of marriage's medicine. Man needs a helper. Someone with strength and with courage. Not just anyone, but did you notice it said someone who is just right for him. Just right for him. It's a wonderful phrase. This just right for him is two words in Hebrew that mean like opposite. So God says he needs someone with strength, supportive power who is like opposite of him. That's a confusing phrase. Amen. One amen. Like opposite. Are you like opposite me? What does this mean? Uh, Think about a puzzle. I think this is the clearest way to try to understand it. If you have two of the exact same puzzle pieces, you can't put it together, right? If you have the same puzzle piece twice, you you can't put anything together with it. They don't fit. They're they're the same. If you have two different pieces from two different puzzles, you may be able to find some that fit, but they don't make a picture together. You understand what I'm saying? Together, they don't make something that's bigger and, and more beautiful Man needs someone who is part of the same puzzle but is a different piece. They need to be like enough to be part of the same overall puzzle and different enough to be opposite so they can fit together. Someone who fits with him to make something bigger. And and this helps us make some sense of the strength of that word helper. Good marriages will often be head-butting marriages. Not only head-butting not only headbutting but conflict and difficulty in a marriage relationship should not be a surprise particularly to people who read the scriptures no one marries who they think they are marrying that's some of what i mean by you married the wrong person this is to be expected do you want to be who you are today 10 years from now any no is the correct answer right no, is the, we want to grow, we want to change, we want to become more free, we want to become healthier, all, all of these things. And so whoever you marry in 10 years will be a different person. You hope, you want them to be, just like they will be married to, a different person. People change and grow. And the closer you get to someone, the more that they will expose you, the more that that will create room for you to experience pain. Um, Marriage is the most intimate of human relationships, and and all relationships are intended to be formative. They shape us and change us. They they form us. So marriage is, most of all, your spouse is not meant to satisfy your soul, but to help you become who you were meant to be and to do what you were meant to do. I'm going to say that one time more. Um, Your spouse is not meant to satisfy your soul, to bring peace and satisfaction to your whole life. Your spouse is there to help you become who you were meant to become and to do what you were meant to do. The the text goes on to help us see what this looks like. Verse 23, Adam cries out, At last, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. Again, a bit of a strange thing to say. Right before this, Adam has seen all the plants and all the animals, and he's named them, but they're not right for him. They're they're not like opposite of him. They're not strong enough. They don't have that ability to help him. But now he sees, at last here is a poetic way of him saying, finally, or at at last, I've, I've found it. This is it. And what's going on here is that in in seeing Eve, Adam is seeing who he is. Eve is helping Adam see who he is. He's never seen another human before. He doesn't understand who he is. He's found himself in her in the sense that she helps him to see who he really is. He's saying, by discovering you, I have discovered me. Marriages are intended to help you discover who you truly are, which is why there needs to be headbutting in marriage. Let me—I'm just going to give you one example of this. Um, When I got married, which I'm married, we just had our 11-year anniversary, which we spent on COVID quarantine, waiting for COVID tests to come back. So it was a great—it was a great 11-year anniversary. Um, When I got married. I wanted a cheerleader. You know what? You get what I mean by that? I wanted a fan. I wanted someone that's like, baby, you're still great. You're wonderful. You can do anything. I wanted someone who thought I hung the moon, could do no wrong, whatever you want, whatever you need. Uh, But in the first few months of our marriage, my wife did stuff that drove me crazy. Um, We would have dinner with somebody, just a couple in the church, and on the drive home, she would say things like, you really made them feel uncomfortable. They were laughing, but I'm pretty sure you made them feel small. Because I would tell jokes. I would be loud. If you've ever been with me in a social situation, uh, the Lord is sanctifying my loudness out of me, but I can be loud. Some would say obnoxious. Um, I thought my wife was just being a buzzkill, frankly. Can't you just have a good time? Can't you just lighten up? Why is she being so critical of me? And it crushed me. I mean, it was physically painful for me when she would say these things, but she kept saying these things. We would go out to dinner and she would say, just look at what you're doing to them. You got to see how you're making them feel. So eventually in exasperation, I called one of the people we had dinner with. I was like, listen, man, this crazy wife that God gave to me keeps telling me that I'm doing this and I'm making you feel this way. Would you tell me that she's wrong? And he was like, I don't know, man. My wife was pretty broken up last night. I think your wife was right. My wife was accurate in her assessment of my effect on other people. I couldn't see it. And frankly, I didn't want to see it. And when she tried to help me see it, I didn't want her help. Like the fool in Ecclesiastes. We talked about Ecclesiastes a while back. I wanted a good time. All I wanted was to keep it light. I was so blind to how I was affecting other people because I just wanted to laugh. The pain that my wife caused me was pain of healing and transformation. Why did I have, why did I have to be so loud? Why did I have to make people feel small? I didn't want that. I didn't want to be that way. I didn't want to have that kind of effect on people. But I could not see that without her. She had to bring strong words of love. And in her and through her, I see more clearly who God has made me to be. That loud, obnoxious, making people feel small, that is not who I am. That is something that's birthed out of a broken place in me. And as that brokenness gets healed, I can become more who God made me to be, where I can sit and enjoy a conversation. I can just be pleasant around people. I don't have to be loud and obnoxious and silly all the time. You always marry the wrong person. I did not marry a fan or a cheerleader. I married a strong woman of God who was willing to help me see what I needed to. This is the essence of God's observation at the end. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Marriages were intended to be a place where you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. You could look at those as pillars of a good marriage. Seen, known, and loved. You have to be like God in the sense of taking a posture of humble otherness laying down my preferences for the sake of the other. That's love. Bible love is prioritizing the good of another. It's seeking their good. When you want a fan or a cheerleader, you're being a consumer, not a Christian. What can they give me? What can they provide for me? How could they do this to me? And do you know what you can do If you are a consumer looking at your spouse as an object to meet your needs, do you know what you can do when they don't meet your needs? I'm just going to go to the store and exchange it for a new one. I'm going to keep them far enough away that they never have to deal with what's really going on inside of me, and I never have to deal with it, and I can just maybe find someone that will meet my needs better. Christian love points its energy to the other, to see them, to know what they need. As humans, you are not God. We are not God. So we need the humility to know that we don't see who we are. We don't see who we are clearly. We must expect strength from our spouse. And that strength, when tempered with love, is transformative. It reveals you and it transforms you. And there, seen, known, and loved, we experience freedom from shame. These brief words of Adam show us the power of this kind of love. Genesis 2.23 is the first act of art in human history. Genesis 2.23 is poetry. There's raging debates in Hebrew scholarship. Is it poetry or is it song? And I just say it's art. You know, He sees this woman and he bursts out in a creative act of art. Yes, there will be pain and difficulty in any intimate relationship, particularly marriage. Yes. But when it's wrapped in love, it inspires. Here's the, a word we've been saying a lot in Genesis, this series lately. Love is generative. It inspires creativity. It inspires beauty. It inspires seeing, known, and loved gives way to empowered, transformed, and inspired This is what the first wedding does. It inspires creativity, beauty, safety. It creates a space where we might become who we were made to become. This has been God's design from the beginning. And this is the design that God fulfills with his invitation to that second wedding, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Look at what's been lurking underneath every marriage since the beginning of time. We'll fast forward into the New Testament. Ephesians 5 begins the section uh, on marriage. It says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So both parties in a marriage are to say, My energy goes to you. I wish I had a better word than energy. I'm going to serve you, but you know, my priority. I'm going to lay down who I am for your sake. I, I am here for you. I lay down my preferences for you, for your good. That's the posture both parties take. Now for the wives, verse 22, this this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Lay down your preferences for the good of your husband, wife. This doesn't mean becoming voiceless. This doesn't mean becoming choiceless. It means you lay down your preferences for the sake of who your husband might become. It means you bring the strength God gave you to serve, to support, and to love your husband's. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So husbands, this means you lay down your life for your wife. You lay down your life for your wife. But it's, but it's Sunday, football's on, you lay down your life. But it's Tuesday, I got trivia night. Well, I don't know what you people are into. You lay down your life for your wife that she might become who God made her to become. And each of us in a marriage brings an inspiring love where we're creating space to be seen, known, and loved, and ultimately transformed. Because in fulfilling this pattern, you are fulfilling the purpose of marriage. Paul, here in Ephesians 5, quotes from Genesis 2, and he tells us what this means. He's talking of marriage. He says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriages are meant to explain to the world the way God loves his church and the way God and his church are one. So whether you're married or whether you're single wanting to be married, please, please listen to me now. If you demand that your spouse or your future spouse meets your every need or is everything you ever wanted, or if you look to them to fulfill you, I promise you this, your life will be filled with pain and disappointment. If the goal of your marriage is solely having your desires met, you have departed from God's design for marriage and embraced what's known as idolatry, looking at something or someone to, to give to you what they cannot give to you. If you think the only way to have a fulfilling life is to be married, you are preparing for a life of pain and disappointment. Here's just one nugget for my single friends. Did you know Christianity is the only religion in the world started by a single man? Yes. Marriage teaches us to be known, to be seen, and to be loved, but it cannot accomplish that in this life. We cannot be naked and ashamed fully with one another. So at its best, at its purest, our earthly marriages point and prepare us for the wedding that is to come, made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his church. And it is a promise that he sees her, that he knows her, and that he loves her. He will transform her into a spotless bride through his sacrificial death and empowering presence. And one day, all together, we will join in yet another song. Just as Adam sang at his wedding, so too will we sing at our wedding. Inspired by the matchless love of God, we will sing this. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. That is the song that each of us will sing on the great wedding feast of the Lamb, where we will become one with Christ as he is one with the Father. Each week, we prepare for the wedding feast of the Lamb by coming to the table of our Lord. There, his love is on display for us. There, the pattern of our marriages is taught to us week after week after week. If you come and you're struggling and you want to know some next steps or how to improve in in your marriage, maybe just pay a little bit closer attention to communion this week and, and ask yourself, how might I embrace this pattern as I try to love my wife, as I try to love my husband this week? The promise of Christ's transforming love is announced to us week after week as well. And so we turn our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread He blessed it, thanked God for it. He broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. This is the way in which God has loved us.
1: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series, audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.